Thank you very much for having me, and thanks to, to Neil and Chandra for agreeing to act as uh, commentators or discussants. Um, I, uh, I wasn't really sure what to say in some ways. Um, I mean, and so, and so I decided almost to go back to um, a bit of a, some ideas that I originally had for sort of introducing the book in print, but which I decided that was far too kind of self-indulgent and I took out. Um, so instead I'm going to give you my self-indulgence now. Um, and I thought I'd say a few things about where this book started um, and the period of time when I was living in Buenos Aires and maybe some of, you know, some of the kind of key things that happened afterwards, um, and then say a few things about what I was trying to do with the book, more or less. Um, so when I, um, when I arrived in, in Buenos Aires, this is, I looked back at my passport yesterday, uh, is, which is snagged on the 26th of October 2000. Um, so really this book goes back to then, um, which is 17 years, which is really um, frightening. Apart uh, from anything else, and I arrived and I got a taxi to where I was uh, going to be staying. Someone who I'd never met before. I didn't know it was a friend of a friend of mine who'd offered me to crash on this floor. Um, and the taxi driver spent a long time talking to me about the kind of crisis and the fact that the vice president, the guy from Chacho Alvarez, had just resigned. Um, I didn't really know what I didn't know very much about Argentine politics. Um, and he drove me past the Quinta de Olivos, which is the presidential uh, residence, is a sort of northern suburb of the city. And um, there were all these signs outside, which I then I went back to photograph, which were basically all saying, you know, this is for sale and uh, up for rent and this kind of thing. So this is sort of, for me, it was my first experience of. Um, the kinds of protests and expressions and imaginative protests, I think, that would characterize my kind of two and a half years when I was living in Buenos Aires and then the subsequent time after that. Um, I also had a quick look at the newspapers uh, on what they were talking about, and apart from things about Spanish investment, Spanish governmental investment in Argentina, and how this was going to be the kind of savior of Argentine crisis, um, there was also um, a big piece about a meeting between. Um, former President Raúl Alfonsín and the Economy Minister Domingo Cavallo, all about convertibility and the sort of you know the one to one dollar to the peso. Uh, and Pachinelose um, published their story under the title of El Caballo de Troya, de Troya, which I thought was kind of amusing. And at the time, I you know very soon after arriving, started writing. Uh, translating um, stories for an online newspaper which was imaginatively called Diario Online, which I guess at that time people thought was kind of pretty radical. Um, so that was interesting, you know, I started learning about what was going on. Um, but kind of quite quickly into 2001 when I started working as a teacher, basically I felt that a lot of my time was, when I was looking at the news anyway, was about strikes you know, in particular. And this for me was kind of a new thing. I mean, I wasn't particularly politicized student here uh, and to see all these kind of um, strikes I found very interesting um, buses being burned and things like that it wasn't just kind of going on strike it was kind of you know, violence um, and I worked probably in a very in a position of somewhat removed from actually a lot of the politics I was working in a bilingual private school 
um, you know, I had a reasonable income, I had pounds and all the rest of it. So I think I saw everything from a distance even though I was living there. And in fact, when December 19th and 20th, 2001 took place, I was actually in the UK. So when all these kind of real protests and people being killed um, were taking place, I was in um, the UK at that point. Um, and I was due to go back to Buenos Aires in 2002, and I, I, I did indeed go back. Um, and I, I found by that point I had quite a lot of friends, and I really felt that the city had a very strong sense of solidarity at that point. So, despite the crisis, despite the violence, despite the protests, despite the deaths, and everything else, a lot of the things that I saw were about. Um, people helping each other out and um, you know personal friendships I mean as well as just kind of general sense of solidarity in barter markets and marches and all of these things which were in part about protests but in part they were about bringing people together um, and I did feel that there was a sort of sense of solidarity my friends would talk about maybe two three four years after that how that sense of solidarity had sort of dissipated um, in 2002, I also started going to, um, on Saturdays, because I kind of wanted the stimulation, I, I used to turn up to the Facultad de Filosofía y Letras, uh, Puan, and um, I used to turn up and, and go to Literatura Argentina Dos, which was currently being, at that time, being taught by Beatriz Sapo. So I was going along as well and hearing one of Argentina's preeminent intellectuals lecturing for free. I just turned up and sat in the back of these kind of smoke-filled lecture theatres um, and followed the series of readings. And I was, you know, we were reading things like Sayer, Pelia, Chefek, Cortaza, Borges, um, Matilda Sanchez. And so this was also, for me, uh, an important moment because these were, the, the theme was the city, particularly Buenos Aires. Um, and these pictures, well, the one on the right is taken in Puan, um, and these are the kinds of things that were being graffitied around the place at that time, right? So um, you can't really see these so well, but there are, this is Congreso, Duale Motherfucker, and other kinds of other inspirational things. Um, this was also, this is in Ciudad Universitaria, um, where this is a reference to two of the people who were killed during the protests in 2001. And these are also both taken Juan uh, and uh, Around, although I wasn't going to say too much about it, but around all of this, there was also a sense of kind of memory politics as well. And here, use of silhouettes was kind of a big thing I was seeing a lot of um, when I was there. Um, so for me, that kind of intellectual experience was, was very important in terms of trying to refine my thinking about what I was doing there and, and the way I could start thinking about it. So when I went back to the UK to do an MA, I started working on New Argentine cinema with a particular focus on the city. Um, and then when I moved into the PhD, I started including other cultural texts, literature, photography, comics, art, music. And I, I was trying to get a sense of that cultural patchwork of um, the kind of urban experience, in a way, at least the way I was experiencing it. You know, this kind of accumulation of different things from kind of all over the place. Um, and I filtered that in part a lot through um, Hart and Negri's theory of the multitude. Not only because I found it interesting, but also because it was quite popular in Argentina at the time. Negri had spoken by video link following the crisis, 
to people in, in Buenos Aires, um, and other Italian thinkers were very much kind of of the moment, I guess, there as they were in other places, you know, people like Agamben, Esposito, maybe more so than in the English-speaking world, because I think he's only been translated more recently. Um, uh, and I saw Agamben present in Buenos Aires, I think, in 2005, so I mean, he was kind of a big figure at the time. Um, but when I completed the PhD and through the sort of various revisions to what became the book, I became more interested in the idea of commons, um, in part sort of following on the back of the last volume of Hart and Negri's sort of trilogy, um, but also reading things like Peter Lindbergh's book on Magna Carta, which I think was a, is an excellent book and I found really kind of helpful. Um, and during this period of revising the book, also lots of things were happening in Argentina that I couldn't kind of keep pace with. So Nestor Kirchner elected in 2003. Um, for me, a big event was the Cromagnon uh, nightclub fire in uh, 2004, right in 2004. Um, that's a picture that I took um, where there was this kind of impromptu shrine that sprung up uh, in Plaza Once. And these are references to to that as well as to, I think there's an interesting photograph because it's a sort of mixture of different memory politics coming together. So hijos and scratch, they're kind of linked to scratches and things like that at the top. And then here, this is a reference to the Cromagnon fire. Um, and then um, Christina being elected in 2007 and also the election of Mauricio Macri to the mayorship of Buenos Aires in 2007. Um, so I, I, I felt like I couldn't really keep up to keep up with all these kind of changing events. So I decided that I would focus mainly on things up to the kind of early years of um, the Nestor's presidency. So basically the book covers more or less 1976 up to about 2005, more or less. Um, even though some of the texts that I looked at were published a little bit after that as well, but were kind of looking backwards. Um, so the, the three main things that I wanted to do with the book were, on the one hand, give a sense of how urban imaginaries can construct dialogues with urban realities. So how, how does culture, in terms of representation, or how does it dialogue with material and concrete places and events and social groups and history? Um, I wanted, on the, uh, on the next level, I wanted to think about how communities could form around and through the city, particularly through the theory of the commons. Um, and here, both in a kind of negative and a positive sense. Okay, So I wanted to th think about how commons could be something constructive and inclusive, but also how it could be something um, almost destructive and exclusive in different senses. Um, and, and linked to that was this desire, in a way, and I, I think certainly one of the criticisms that you could you could level at the book is that if I wanted to try and say that the Latin American city was not kind of as divisive, as violent, or as and as fragmented as the way it's generally portrayed, I think that's in part because I was looking at that particular city, right? I mean, I think certainly you could look at other cities where that argument might be harder to make, but in any case, that was one of the things I was trying to do. Um, and then the third thing I wanted to do was um, express my own sort of passion for this particular place and the things that it produced, but particularly through the idea of 
if Buenos Aires is a city which traditionally has seen itself as a space of kind of order and reason, you know, if you go back to Adrian Golodic's idea that the city would plan itself out before it was built, this is actually a place for me that came alive more in its kind of incompletion and its gaps and its kind of fragments um, and its kind of layerings of different times and that if you kind of put them all together you'd actually come up with something that was quite kind of uh, impassioned and interesting and, and engaging. Yeah, so those are the things I was trying to do with the book. So I think at that point I'll pass over to Chandra to respond. Excellent. Okay. So, yeah, that Perfect. Uh, well, great. It's such a pleasure to be here this evening and to be part of this book launch. Um, just on one hand, uh, it's great to celebrate the publication of a friend's book, which is the culmination of so many years of research and thinking and writing and just work that we all know so well. Um, and then on a purely personal level, it was really fun to be able to return to Buenos Aires, which is the city where I started my own research on urban culture in Latin America just over a decade ago. Um, and despite having moved on to other cities and cultures across the region, Buenos Aires really took up a foundational position in my understanding of Latin American cities. Um, so it's from somewhere, uh, it, from a position somewhere between familiarity and distance and perhaps tinged with a bit of nostalgia, which feels very apt for reflecting on Buenos Aires, that I read this book. And there were two aspects of the work that really jumped out from the text. Uh, and I thought I'd focus on those two today. So the first, I was struck by the impressive breadth of materials covered by the book. So as I, when I first got it and kind of picked it up to begin reading, I flipped it over to read the back blurb, as you do, to kind of get an idea of what I was in for. Um, and there was a sentence here that describes its content that says, it explores a hugely diverse set of works, including literature, film, and comics. So I thought, okay, great. Multimedia, interdisciplinary, hugely diverse. You know, I'll take it with a grain of salt. We'll see. Maybe this is the kind of expression you need to use to kind of sell to a readership. But uh, once I finished reading the book in its entirety, I was completely in awe at the diversity of cultural productions that James addresses and analyzes over the course of seven chapters. So as James sort of hinted at, um, this ranges from what could be considered more classic materials of literature and film, especially those belonging to new Argentine cinema, but it also extends out uh, to emerging fields of study with an entire chapter dedicated to graphic novels and comics. And it's these sort of elements that really position the book uh, at the forefront of cultural studies trends. And then quite distinctly complementing these other works, there's also two chapters that address different forms of music, so including rock barial, which is kind of a localized version of rock nacional uh, that is so emblematic of Argentine musical production and also reaches out to newer forms of music with cumbia ligera, uh, which emerged in the shanty towns and kind of urban peripheries of the greater metropolitan area, but has steadily become a soundtrack of the entire city in the last decade or so. Um, and several chapters also integrate a more performative and visual approach to cultural analysis. So in discussions about memory in the post-dictatorship era, the book opens out to address several iconic art actions that took place, 
including the Siluetazo in the 1980s, and then the Escrach, which is a performance protest that really caught on during the 1990s and was led by the Hijos, uh, Children of the Disappeared, and featured a sustained artistic collaboration with several arts groups, including GAC, Grupo de Arte Callejero, and Grupo Etcetera, which is a street theater group. And the book even extends to reading the spatial movements and recycling practices of cartoneros, which are the waste pickers that um, emerged in the post-crisis era, as cultural manifestations that construct another way of performing the city. So what's noticeable, or quite notable, is the way that James handles all of these diverse cultural productions with an impressive ease and care, so that even though literature and film perhaps occupy a slightly larger proportion of the book's contents, the other cultural materials don't feel treated as lesser manifestations, but rather as equally important cultural phenomena that collectively come to shape our understanding of Buenos Aires. And I guess from your kind of backgrounds, discussion or kind of explaining how you came to it, you can, that really comes across in the book, that you were trying to bring all of these different manifestations together. And it's precisely this expansive outlook that allows City in Common to do things that other studies that focus on singular media types uh, rarely are able to achieve. So it prompts the reader to start to draw connections and to trace patterns and divergences across these diverse cultural manifestations which emerged out of similar socio-historical contexts, but are rarely discussed in unison. And in part, the book's content is designed in this way to demonstrate how cultural production, in a very broad sense, both reflects and shapes evolving ideas of the city. And this is achieved through a skillful weaving together of close readings of the text, while also recounting major historical moments and events that took place in Buenos Aires during the latter half of the 20th century. Um, specifically the period, as James mentioned, between the 1976 military dictatorship through to the kind of aftermath of the 2001 crisis. And so out of these combination of these two dimensions of, of material breadth and detailed historical contextualization, the book, I thought, quite successfully walks the line of providing an excellent foundational text for those who might be new to Argentine cultural studies so say could be used very well, I think, in like undergraduate course books and things, um, while also offering enough novel materials to pique the interest of those who are already familiar with this area. And that's quite a tricky balance to achieve and impressive to achieve so well. Now, the second aspect of Jane's work um, also caught my attention straight away, in fact, right from the title of the book, uh, which states the core premise to explore a city in common. And in the opening pages, James outlines this position. And so I'm just going to read here, literally from page one. So here. Uh, Some would have us believe that dystopian cityscapes are our only urban future. Violence, fragmentation, and fear dominate our urban imaginations and are inscribed into the material cityscape. For many urban dwellers and theorists, positive sites of commonality are simply no longer part of our increasingly conflictual formulations of urban territory. Without ignoring the pressing reality of urban fragmentation and its material and social impact, this book addresses some of the ways that cultural imaginaries can and do point toward alternative urban futures, because beyond such discord, disaffection, and enclosure, the urban remains a privileged site of links, connections, and encounters 
that exists alongside and sometimes undermine the divisive and alienating trends of the city. Such encounters are the basis for what I call the city in common. So after reading the book's introduction in full, I couldn't help but find myself feeling like, oh, how refreshing. This is a, you know, a very different approach to Latin American cities that seems kind of founded in, in some root of an overt optimism and defiant positivity. And so moving away from the discussions of cities of walls or fragmented and fractured cityscapes that have come to dominate with some justification, urban studies in the region. Instead, City in Common proposes to approach the city by way of social inclusion, by pursuing elements that urban residents have in common through community, and by what draws people together. Yet as one progresses through the chapters, the concept of City in Common reveals itself to be not quite so straightforward and not quite as rosy as this initial, initial presentation suggests. And I need to at least acknowledge that James does kind of point to this dilemma and these tensions very early on in the book. So it was certainly my own projection of wanting a refreshing, positive <laughs> vision more than necessarily James stating that it was going to be that way. Um, so over the ensuing chapters, you start to realize that what the book explores has more to do with the way commonality and community relate to notions of inclusion and exclusion, and the relational dependency between these two concepts, given that a position of inclusion is always defined by what is excluded. Thus, the proposal to examine Buenos Aires through a lens of inclusivity can perhaps be better understood not as a rejection of fragmentation and fear, enclosure and exclusion, but as a determination to approach and understand these urban processes from a different yet equally definitive angle. Because by understanding how notions of inclusion and commonality are defined, particularly when taking the form in gated communities or shanty towns as extreme forms of what James calls the exclusive commons, then we can start to imagine different formulations of inclusivity that extend beyond these perceived barriers within the city and indeed, the tensions that emerge between different conceptions of communal identity raised by the different cultural productions that James analyzes points to a question that lies at the heart of this book, asking how can we imagine a collective urban identity that bridges the many types of divisions marking the urban geography and the social body of Buenos Aires as a result of successive moments of change and crisis. Now, as for the details of what James concludes about the successful realization or not of a city in common, I will simply say that you should all read this excellent book for yourselves. So, and off to you. Yes, so just to get, get started, I, um, I brought my copy of James's book along, and I did that just because as I was reading it, I started using yellow sticky labels to, to mark the points I wanted to talk about, and then... If you can maybe see, I started adding more and more colours um, as I was reading it because there's just so much, uh, yeah, as Chandra mentioned, the, the breadth of the book is just remarkable and it just kept sparking thoughts about my, my own work and it persistently challenged my conceptions of Buenos Aires and of Argentine culture more generally and I just wanted to go back and revisit so much of it. So, yeah, I thought I would start just by encouraging you all to, to get the book and read it because it really just contains a wealth of incredibly challenging and inspiring ideas and a, a vast amount of research. It's, it's really impressive. 
Um, so in my, my own comments, I, w I wanted to just sort of focus in on, on two points. Um, and the first is sort of a summary of how I read and understood James's book. And then the second is a, a sort of observation that will lead to the question that I kind of want to finish on in which I'm hoping James will be happy to respond to. <laughs> um, so yeah, as James sets out in, in the introduction and as we've sort of heard in the, the other presentations, um, he examines numerous sort of social movements and artistic texts amongst many other elements in order to draw out and refine this new conception of the, of the city in common. Yet, as he states quite early in the book, and he stated earlier in Chandra and illustrated so perfectly, the idea of the commons or of commonality are not something that can be taken for granted, and nor can they presume to be inclusive and positive. So rather, James sets up this model of the commons, which includes the two different elements that you've heard described before, or, or maybe there are two different effects, which he, he sort of delineates by drawing a distinction, um, and I thought I would just quote, between those communities which are open and expansive, offering the potential for political encounter and commonality with a wide variety of potentially entirely different communities, and those that are introspective, built necessarily around fixed boundaries that encourage exclusion, end quote. And what the, the book describes so vividly is this sort of mutual evolution of space and thought, which is both the ground and the outcome of this continual struggle between enclosure and openness, introspection and expansion, and between encounter and seclusion. And for me personally, I sort of read this struggle in Deleuzean terms as James's attempt to overcome and dismantle the dogmatic image of thought of the commons and to turn it into thought itself. So at first the, the idea came to me because Deleuze's attack on the image of thought, that which is, and I'll just quote again, taken for granted, a system of coordinates, dynamics, orientations that govern what it means to think and to orient oneself in thought, end quote, is fundamentally an assault on common sense understood as the implicit presuppositions that everyone knows prior to the act of thinking. So it's really this sort of verbal slippage between the commons and common sense that sparked the idea. And then I basically read James's book as an attempt to challenge our presuppositions about what it means to live in common, and then to make the concept of the common sort of, common sort of strange and unusual, and by extension to make it sort of vibrant and new. And that's, that's sort of to say that I read the, the James's book in Deleuze's words as an attack on the traditional moral image of thought, but also a movement towards understanding thought as self-engendering and as an act of creation. And the more I thought about it, the more appropriate it, it sort of seemed. So for Deleuze, the image of thought is primarily centred on the individual through the cogito, and common sense is centred on the logic of the same and the denigration of difference. And that sort of seems to be a connecting thread that runs through James's critique of those commons which result in exclusion. So just to provide a really simple example, those living in gated communities in Buenos Aires construct them around what they as individuals feel they have that is the same, such as wealth and social status, but that commonality emerges through the necessary subordination and abnegation of those that are different. But in contrast, and as James mentioned earlier, he sort of opens his book by invoking the multitude, sort of the unruly mass which comes together for an indefinite period of time and is precisely defined by the fundamental differences 
of its constituent elements. So if the multitude is necessarily grounded in plurality and difference, it can't but challenge the image of thought constructed from the logic of the same and the individual. And then when Deleuze also argues that the image of thought can be created by design or incidentally, and it can function consciously or unconsciously, he does follow Nietzsche in, in arguing that the image of thought is always a moral image deployed in the service of power. And, but he also sort of states that common sense always imply or generate the mask of morality which hides that power relationship. And that, that's something I found in, for example, James's account of the most recent Argentine dictatorship, where he's, he shows that the, the sort of implemented policies to promote order and progress in the city and the defence of the family at home, but this moralising mission also becomes the defence for the most heinous acts and, and brutal destruction of all that's different. And then the other thing I was thinking about is that the image of thought, as Deleuze describes it, always imposes its presuppositions upon the world, but then he proposes that thought without an image would have a fundamentally different relationship to with the world and with other people. So Deleuze writes, something in the world forces us to think that something is an object not of recognition but of fundamental encounter. It may be grasped in a range of affective tones, wonder, love, hatred, or suffering. And for, for James too, and as was clear in the quotation I read before, and I think it's been mentioned before this evening as well, the encounter is of fundamental importance precisely because it forces us to think differently about what it means to live in common. And across this book, the encounters with the world and with the other also emerge in a range of different affective tones. So the, the marginal status and disparagement of the barrio and the Visha Miseria become the rallying point for the creation of new communities through the intensive energy transmitted by Rock Barial and Cumbia Vichera. Or the increasing levels of, of unemployment and precarity that follow Menem's neoliberal economic reforms become the basis for the creation of the new alternative families found in the Nuevo Cine Argentino. And even the horror of the most recent dictatorship's extermination plan generates a new commonality for inhabitants of the city through the generalization of the state of exception. But, but James's analysis is a, a really exacting critique, and he's continually exposing the negative traits of the commons or the reemergence of the image of thought in these very same developments. So he's sort of unflinching and exposing where, exposing where the social function of Rock Barial or Cumbia Vichera, or even the attempts of human rights organisations to memorialise the last dictatorship, unwittingly generate further exclusion. And I think that's what I found in, in James's book that went even further than Deleuze. Like, what you get a powerful sense of over the course of the book is that the commons, as James conceives of it, it's really a dynamic process of interactions between thought and its image and between bodies and space, which are all bound up in reciprocal relationships whereby the material and spatial reality of the city fuels thoughts of the potential city which could be, and those thoughts are then in turn enacted spatially to transform the city and so on ad infinitum. It's a sort of ceaseless process which engenders varying degrees of exclusion and inclusion at every turn. So that was the, the first point. And it, my second point I kind of wanted to finish on, I wanted to move from sort of thought in general to focus specifically on the thought of movement. 
because throughout the book, the movement of bodies through the city frequently emerges. And James talked, James talked about trams, cars, trains, the subway, the construction of motorways, and laws governing governing the circulation of people. But they mainly play a sort of minor and secondary role in reinforcing your argument. I mean, the exception comes towards the end of the book when, when movement comes to the fore and he, he discusses at length the Tren Blanco, the, the special train services using dilapidated rolling stock that bring informal rubbish, co rubbish collectors to the city centre to work. And then he moves on to talk about how the cartoneros enact political change in, in a kind of minor way by transforming the city as they walk through it with their carts. So while I think there is a discussion of transport sort of running through the background of the book, I was just hoping to have it brought to the fore and discussed a bit further. Because as I was reading that, I just kept thinking about how frequently transport features in numerous cultural productions from Buenos Aires, and then also about how things like the map of the Sulte or the Guia de sort of affect our conceptions of the city. And then lastly, I was also just thinking about how methods of transport can also lead to political encounters. So for example, I was sort of struck by the importance of the, the subway during the most the most recent Neonamenos protests and that were took place in October last year, where the electronic boards and station entrances started broadcasting slogans in favor, in favor of the women's strike. And then there's kind of a famous case where a, a female announcer substituted the usual message on the train um, and stated, Senores Pasajeros, cuiden sus pertenencias y también cuidanos a nosotras que no somos sus pertenencias. And that sort of ended up going viral and taken all. It was just repeated in article after article that I read. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to finish with that sort of final question, which is James, uh, how does transport and the movement and circulation of people contribute to your conception of the commons? Yeah. Um, I think it's 